was going to do that tonight, but I thought it was beautiful. Thank you, my brother. As I said, we love uh, Brother Cletus around here, and so let's welcome him as he comes to the pulpit. God bless you, brother. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor, and we love coming here, and uh, man, what a ministry. Uh, Jason surprised me tonight. I, I met him at Chick-fil-A a month and a half ago or so, and, and got to know him a little better, and, and didn't know he could sing, yeah. and uh, one of our favorite songs as well, so thank you, brother. Appreciate your ministry tonight. Hey, got a lot of things to, to, to share with you tonight, and aren't you glad that you're not stuck in your house tonight, snowed in? I think we're all glad for that. I will be flying back to Jamaica on the 29th. I'll be teaching two weeks of pastoral theology to the preacher boys down at Fairview Baptist Bible College, and we're excited about that. Tammy has a ministry that I'll give you a brief commercial on. We are excited, first of all, that gospel will be coming to Jamaica this coming summer, and I got the word on that last week in an email. Um, and uh, looking forward to having the group there. But you say, well, I'm not a teenager, I'm not young, I can't go on missions trip and do vacation Bible school and all of that heat and everything. We have the exact perfect ministry for you, and it's called So Very Loved, S-E-W, So Very Loved. This is a ministry that Tammy started two years ago to teach um, sewing, craft-making, uh, jewelry making, all kinds of skills to the ladies of Jamaica to give them a trade that they could sell to the tourists and to other Jamaicans and not be dependent. Uh, some of them have turned to prostitution and other ways to make their living. This gives them an outlet for their creativity and an opportunity to make some money. But more importantly, it gets them in the doors of Bay Life Baptist Church and shares the gospel with them. One of the exciting things this last summer was a guy named George. Now, I say a guy, this is a ladies' ministry, but George works at the villa where we keep our teams, and the first night, George says, Pasta can become the so very loved. I said, George, it's for ladies. It's a ladies' ministry. Me know that, Pastor, but me can sew. I said, you can? Yeah, man. We have a degree from University West Indies in fashion design. I said, Really? He said, yeah, man. I said, well, it's up to Tammy. Tammy said, sure, he can come. He can hear the gospel just like the ladies can. George went every night. First night he went, he sewed a, a skirt just that quick. So we could see he had the skills. Came every night, heard the ladies teaching, the gospel given. He came back. Sunday morning, he called me at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning. Pastor, can we get a ride? I said, yeah, man. We arranged for me to pick him up. And I thought, you could have waited till 8 o'clock to call me for church, but he called me at 6. So we picked him up, talking to him on the way. George, you go to church anywhere? Yeah, man, we go to, and he named the church right there in Montego Bay. It was a Baptist church. I said, George, let me ask you this question. Um, if you were to die right now, why, why should God let you into heaven? I may not know. I don't know. I said, well, let me ask you another question, George. Because um, he said, I'm doing the best that I can. I said, well, George, if you're doing the best that you can, how good is good enough? And if you can get into heaven by good works, why did Jesus have to die? Good question, man. Good question. Well, he came that Sunday morning, and he heard the gospel. And he came down the aisle and received Christ as his Savior. I was back in October to teach the uh, book of Revelation. Went to church Sunday morning. There's George. 
growing in the Lord, Pastor Andrews discipling him out of a ladies' ministry. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this. You can be a part of this ministry. The week is June 17th to 23rd, this coming summer. Specifically, we need ladies that know how to quilt. If you can do quilting, and I'll tell you this, uh, now, that doesn't exclude jewelry making. We could use somebody in jewelry making. We could use somebody in sewing. We can use people to hold babies while the Jamaican ladies learn the skills. You can hold their little ones and, and have a ministry in that. Or if you are a Bible teacher, and uh, Tammy would love to have to split that job up because there's a morning and an evening session, you can help with that. Anyway, if you are interested at all, please see Tammy tonight. Uh, we, are, we are working on... Uh, getting this lined up, we will promise you this. You stay at a place that is really nice, and you'll have air conditioning. You can sleep at night. Two of your meals are covered, morning and evening meal. And then um, the church auditorium is air conditioned, so you don't have to worry about it's too hot. We, and the van is air conditioned, so if you just rush from your room right to the van, right to the church, we got you covered, Okay. See Tammy. She'd love to have you be a part of that. Now, the other thing I wanted to share with you, kind of a commercial before we get into the message tonight, is we have exciting news. We finally, after all this time, have identified a building. Not only have we identified the building, we have it under contract. We have a memorandum of understanding, which is a purchase agreement, and it's a 14,500-square-foot warehouse. Huge building with all kinds of possibilities. Right now we meet on the second floor of a commercial building, hard for our senior adults to get up for service in there. We have a room that is half the size of your platform and we put 80 adults in that room. Plus the, plus the platform space, everything, it's just tight. And I talked to Pastor Andrew today, he called me. He said, Pastor, a lot of new people coming out to church. Now, I know it's the first of the year, so I don't expect it to last very long, but he says there's a lot of new people coming out to church, and it is full every Sunday. It's exciting, folks. Now, here's the deal. $380,000 for 14,500 square feet. You can't build that. It worked out. We figured up to about $30, $35 a square foot. And uh, we have to have $190,000 the end of this month as a down payment on the building. In fact, Greg, you've got the uh, presentation. Why don't we show that now, and then I'll come back and fill in the gaps, all right? This is Pastor Andrew. We'll tell you a little Hello, bit about the new one. building. My name is Pastor Andrew Price, and I'm currently the pastor of the Bayland Baptist Church, and this is the building that we're looking at to buy to use our church. And in this community, there's not a lot of churches that are preaching the gospel. And my promise to you is, if you help us to get this building, that we will preach the undiluted gospel of Christ. Because we believe, I believe, that the only thing that can change people, change this community, and change this nation, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the only way we can do this is if we have a place where we can meet and preach the gospel of Christ. So will you pray with us? And will you help us in the area of finances to buy this building? and that we may use it for the glory of God. Thank you. We're just walking around the property. We can't get in because it's Sunday afternoon and the place is locked up. But I want to show you the walking down the sidewalk. That would be side entrance. This building is 14,000 square feet. It was a warehouse that was built by an American bottling company. It's been used for the last 20 some years. 
as a wholesale grocery and it's a blank slate wide open with a tremendous opportunity for us to go in this could be our front entrance bay life baptist church we have an auditorium full-size gymnasium down that left hand side more classrooms wide open space there's room for children's church there's room for nursery with air conditioning also room for a apartment for pastor andrew and tanisha we're filming this on a sunday afternoon we just had wonderful services at bay life the auditorium was full and as you can see here at the cash and carry gates locked it's a sunday what we'd like to do is a year from now open these gates start worshiping every sunday what we need is a gift from god's people help us unlock this gate thirty dollars by one square foot 300 by 10 square feet, 3,100 square feet, or even $30,000 in buy a thousand square feet of a 14,000 square foot building. Will you help us by giving, by praying, and by giving, you can help us unlock this gate and begin worshiping Bay Life Baptist Church, Montego Bay, this time next year. God bless you. Thank you. Now, there, there, there is the visual. Let me give you the details. We signed a contract the end of July. The owner has to have $190,000 down. When we pay that, we own the title deed to the building. Then we owe $190,000 beyond that. He has six months to get his business closed, and then we have two years after that six months to pay off the balance, and he owner finances it. So it's a great deal. Uh, unbelievable deal for us, first of all, to find this, and then secondly, to be able to purchase it. When we signed the contract, Baylife had $40,000 in the bank. We had to have $190,000 in six months. Now, six months from the end of July is the end of January, and we are coming up on that deadline. And the good news is, as best I can tell, we don't have all the totals in. They won't be until the 15th of this month. But as best as I can tell, we're in the 160, 170, $170,000 range. So we only have about twenty dollars to $30,000 to finish up, to put the down payment on this building, and then six months from the time we close on it, we get that building. We get to move into it, get to expand the auditorium, make room for more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good news. I've got even better news. We already have the rest of the money. It's just in the pockets of God's people all across the United States and Jamaica. I talked to Pastor Andrew this morning. He said, Pastor, we have two people that want to make a contribution, so I can't tell you exactly how much we have right now, but I'll call you next week and let you know how much we have in the building fund. And I said, well, that's good, because I don't know exactly how much we have at Baptist Mid-Missions yet, but I can promise you this, folks. Everything that you give goes 100% toward the building. There's no administration fee from Baptist Midmissions. I don't make any money off of it. Pastor Andrew doesn't make any money off of it. It goes 100% to the building. And you will hear me shout all the way from Jamaica when we finally get in that building because, folks, I tell you what, this is a phenomenal, 
phenomenal opportunity. We have some information here, and I just ask you as a church, would you pray about helping us? And I know it's kind of short notice. We've got to get this thing done by the end of the month. And uh, a lot of folks gave toward the end of last year to, to finish out their year-end giving. But uh, I know that God touches hearts. And my dad always said, he was a pastor for 50 years, missionary pastor. He said, when it comes to finances, just talk to the Lord and then tell God's people and leave it at that. And so that's what we did tonight. We just leave it with you. Pray about it. If you need information, we have some information sheets. and We'll leave one with you and be glad to let you know how you can help in this. Now take your Bibles, if you will. Romans chapter 3 tonight, a very familiar passage. When I say Romans chapter 3, the most familiar verse that we all come up with is Romans 3, 23. And what does that say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But did you know that the emphasis of Romans 3 is not on the sin of man, but on the righteousness of God? If I can just show you real quickly, look in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness come in, there's the phrase, the righteousness of God. And then in verse 21 it says, but now the righteousness of God. In verse 22, even the righteousness of God. And then in verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Now that's an interesting phrase because uh, there's a lot of Bible words we don't understand. When I was a youth pastor, I had to learn a different language about every two years working with teenagers. And I, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. So when I first started working with teenagers, they talked about everything was gnarly. Man, that's so gnarly. And I thought, what in the world is gnarly? And then it was rad, which was short for radical. Awesome. One of the most overused words was awesome. Then things that were cool were hot, and things that were hot were cool. And... Uh, and my grandson, one of my grandsons said to me the other day, Papa, that's sick. And I thought, well, I hope it gets better. No, man, it's, it's, Papa, it's sick. <laughs> well, there was one word we used to use, that's so righteous. And some of you folks are old enough to remember a group called the Righteous Brothers. So you have just aged, dated yourselves on that one, haven't you? Well, what does righteousness mean? Well, in relation... To God, it means perfect consistency of character and action. God is always perfect in who he is and what he does, and therefore who he is and what he does is right, and we get the word right from righteous. In other words, you can always count on God to do what is right. For instance, in Genesis, 20, or Genesis 18, 24, and 25, and I just read this the other day in my devotions, um, Abraham finds out that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and his nephew Lot is living there. And he begins to negotiate with God, and he gets him all the way down to ten people. If there are just ten righteous people, will you not destroy the city? And finally, he makes this statement, Will not the God of all the earth do what is right? right. Well, how do we know he'll do what is right? Because it's based upon the fact that he is perfectly consistent in his character and in his action. Who he is and what he does is always right. In relation to us, righteousness means to have a right or proper standing before God, meaning that there is nothing hindering between us and God. There is nothing keeping us from having a proper standing before an almighty God. And with that in mind, let me give you three quick things about righteousness. First of all, God's righteousness is incomparable. 
There is nothing and no one that we can compare the righteousness of God to. Look at verse 21 and what it says. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In, in other words, we don't know that God is right because he obeys the law. God doesn't obey the law. God made the law. The law is an expression of who God is. Because God is right, then the law is right. Every law is an expression of a lawgiver. For instance, when you drove to church tonight, uh, I noticed on 150 out here, the speed limit is 50 miles an hour, and I was doing well to get up to 50 miles an hour tonight. Somebody set that law, and I knew it was right because someone said that is the limit. Every law is an expression of a lawgiver. When it comes to God, he doesn't need the law. He is right apart from the law. By the way, how many of us know that there are things that are legal that are not right? For instance, abortion in the United States is legal, but it's not right. And God doesn't need a law to say that abortion is not right or is right. God says it's a sin, and therefore, without the law, God is right. Amen. Homosexuality has been declared right by our Supreme Court, but according to God, who is the righteous standard, it is not right. Not only is God's righteousness independent, but it's indiscriminate. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. In other words, there is no change from one culture to another in regards to what is right in the sight of God. One of the uh, things that missionaries are taught when they go to a foreign field is that you're not there to an Americanize that country. There are ways that we do things here in America that are not necessarily right or wrong. They're just cultural. They're just American. And so when a missionary goes to a foreign field, they are taught, don't carry your mindset of American right or wrong. And they'll even make the phrase, you're not there to impact the culture, with one exception, when the culture is anti-Christian. You see, it's wrong to have an affair in America, and it's wrong, according to God's word, to have an affair in Jamaica. I don't care if the culture frowns upon it, or if the culture says it's okay. It's wrong. It's wrong to murder in America. It's also wrong to murder in any country that we go to. Not because that country says it's right or wrong. Indiscriminate of the country, God's word is right. And God's righteousness is indiscriminate. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black, white. It doesn't matter if you're American, Jamaican, male or female, Jew or Gentile. God's righteousness is the same, crossing all boundaries. Third thing about God's righteousness is this. It is indisputable. Look at verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. God is right, just, and he is the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. God is is right, and there is no one who can stand before God and say, that's not right. Have you ever had your kids say to you, 
That's not fair. And what did you say back to your kids? You better be thankful it's not fair. Because if you got what was fair, you'd really be in trouble. God's righteousness is indisputable. There is no one who can argue with God and say, hey, I didn't have a fair shake. That wasn't right. You didn't treat me right. That means when the doctor says you have cancer, God is still right. That means when you lose a loved one, God is still right. I'm not saying it's not wrong, that it's wrong to... to Talk to God and ask him and bring your questions to him. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, why did you take my loved one? But know behind all of those questions that there is a sovereign God who always does what is right. Now, in contrast to God's righteousness, which is incomparable, in this passage, our righteousness is indicted. In fact, there's a, you know this verse very well. It's a, a description of our righteousness in Isaiah 64, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, all our righteousness, the scripture says, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Lepers' rags. The, the rags that you put over an open sore or a wound, and then you peel them off, and God says, you know what? Uh, that's what your best looks like. That, that's how good you are. That's why in this passage, the, the emphasis is on the righteousness of God, not on the sin of man, because when it comes to comparing ourselves to each other, we can always find someone worse than we are, right? But we can never compare ourselves to the righteousness of God. Because when we compare ourselves to the righteousness of God, filthy rags. There's a detailed description of our righteousness found in this passage here in Romans 3. If you look at verse 10, it says that is, it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I had a preacher friend named Jimmy Jones. We had him preach it at Edgefield the first year I was there. And Jimmy Jones was from West Virginia, and he was preaching up north in a predominantly Catholic community. And he said his sermon title was on the three nuns in the Bible. I thought, well, that's a great title, but I didn't know there were nuns in the Bible. And he said, yes, I preached on Romans 3. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's your three nuns in the Bible right there. <laughs> From top to bottom, there's a description of us. Look at verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throats an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps or snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. From head to toe, man is completely indicted in regards to his righteousness. There is none righteous. No, not one. And God gives a declaration about our unrighteousness in Romans 1 and verse 18, where he says this, for the wrath of God is and it's in the continuous present tense, so it reads this way, the wrath of God is continually being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. 
we're living these unrighteous lives. We're very happy with them, thank you. And you know what we get for the wages of our sin? The wages of sin is we incur the wrath of God because of our unrighteous acts, because of our sin. Our state of being and the things that we do, it's all unrighteous. And therefore, we are the object of the anger of a righteous, mighty God. And if I quit there, we would be in dire straits. But there's good news. And that is, God's righteousness is incomparable. Our righteousness is indicted. But Christ's righteousness is imputed. Now, there's a Bible uh, word you need to learn. Imputation, if you don't know it already. Imputation means to be put to the account of. I like the verse in verse 20. It says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. The law gives the knowledge of sin. So the question that we ask then is, how is a man made right with God? How can we who are unrighteous in who we are and unrighteous in what we do stand before a righteous and holy and mighty God in our unrighteousness? And the answer is double imputation. To have righteousness, Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Here's the verse I was trying to get to earlier, and that is this. Our sins were placed on Christ's account. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath what? Laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's let this piece of paper represent everything that you've ever done wrong in your life. Now, for some of you, for Greg, at the soundboard, probably need a five-volume set, right? Okay. But, but we at least all have at least one piece of paper with all the things we've done wrong in our lives listed here. My Bible tells me that when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, all of the wrath of a holy and righteous God was placed upon him. Every sin of every man who ever has lived, is living, or ever will live was poured out, and the judgment of God was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's why he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because a holy and righteous God turned his back on the sin-bearer of all of the sin, of all of the ages, of all mankind. You say, well, wait a minute. How is it that Jesus Christ was able to pay for my sin? He didn't have any of his own. And being the eternal God, he could die at one point in time because he is eternal. He could die for eternal sin at one time. He was not limited to his life because he was in the beginning. And so all of the sin of all eternity was laid upon Jesus Christ. And by the way, there is a heretical doctrine that goes around that teaches that when Jesus died on the cross, he only died for a limited number of people. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney. All right? How do I know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all men, for all eternity? 1 John 2. And he, Jesus, 
is the propitiation. Propitiation means the sufficient sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins, talking about believers. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of who? The whole world. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't there picking and choosing who he was dying for. He was dying to satisfy the wrath of an eternal, righteous, and holy God. And Jesus Christ is sufficient for the sin of all mankind. But he is only efficient or effective for those who will believe. So our sins were placed on his account. But it gets even, as we'd say, it gets even gooder than that. All right? Are you with me? Not only are our sins placed on his account, but his righteousness is placed on our account. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says this, And he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This, this represents all of our sin placed on Jesus Christ. This represents all of Christ's righteousness placed upon our account. Double imputation. So not only do I have all of my sins paid for, but to my account is given all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, in the portals of heaven, I stand before God as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ. It's a term that's called justification. Now, when you talk about justification, some people will describe it this way, just as if I'd never sinned. And that's okay, but that's not sufficient, because Adam and Eve had never sinned before the fall, but they were not justified. Let me give you a a Bible definition of justification. Justification is a judicial act of God whereby he declares the sinner righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. give it to you again. Justification is a judicial act of God whereby he declares, declares the sinner righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a courtroom scene. We had a teenager whose mom was arrested and dad had abandoned the family up in Bedford County, Virginia when we were in our first ministry. And we had to go to Bedford County Court. And I'm glad I did because I got this kind of picture here. Now, now this kid was, was all talk. Um, and I, I'm going to give that judge a piece of my mind. When I say him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. And I said, James, you can ill afford to give away any of what you have left, brother. Let me tell you that. But he was, was going to tell that judge what for. Well, <clears throat> we were sitting in the courtroom, and the judge walked in. The bailiff said, all rise, and we all stood up. And and then everyone was seated, and the judge said, we're here to hear the case of James. And he called his last name, and he said, are you present? Yes, sir. And he talked a little bit about the case, and then he said, would you have anything that you'd like to say on your behalf? No. And that was it. But go to heaven with me for just a moment, the courtroom of heaven, and picture this scene. God, the righteous judge, seated on his throne. And in the courtroom, there is a defendant's table, and there's a prosecutor's table. And you are sitting at the defendant's table. And over here is the prosecutor, the accuser of the brethren. Who is that? 
Satan himself. And by the way, when you start accusing your brothers or sisters in Christ of other things, you're never more like the devil when you start accusing your brother. Now, that's a whole other message for some other time, all right? But, uh, so the accuser of the brethren is over here, and the judge says, all right, you can make your case. And the devil gets up, and he starts listing off all of the things that you've done wrong. And he goes in detail, and he gives a long list of all of those things. And then he says, I rest my case. And then the judge turns to the defendant's table, and there you sit. And you say, he says, uh, how do you plead? And your attorney... Your advocate, if you know him, your advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he stands up and he says, Your Honor, my client pleads guilty. In fact, Your Honor, my client's done a few things that the prosecutor missed. A whole lot of things. Because the devil knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know the thoughts and intents of your heart. And the judge brings down his gavel and he says, guilty is charged, penalty is death. And then your advocate says, your honor, if it pleases the court, I would be willing to stand in behalf of my client and take his punishment. And the judge says, so ordered. And Christ, our substitute, takes our punishment for us. Now, how does that work? Let me close with two illustrations. We're done. When I was a kid, my favorite cereal was Cap'n Crunch cereal. Now, I just got the attention of a few of you who zoned out for a minute there. You're back with me, aren't you? Cap'n Crunch cereal, the best cereal that was ever made, <laughs> apart from the Crunch Berries and the Peanut Butter Crunch, which I really like that too, but I can't eat any of it anymore. And Cap'n Crunch cereal had on the back of the box a secret message that you could send off for, and you could get a secret decoder, and you could find out what that message read. So I saved up enough box tops and sent it in. I got the secret decoder in the mail, and you know what it was? A pair of those glasses like they give you at the eye doctor's place after they, they do your eyes and, and all that stuff. And, and it was just a pair of paper glasses with cellophane lenses, and the cellophane lenses were red. And I looked at the, I thought, man, that's so cheap. But I looked at the back of the box, and sure enough, there was a big red dots. But behind that red was a blue dots. And the message was in the blue dots, and when I looked through the red dots, it canceled out the red on the back of the package, and I could read the secret message back there. Did any of you have this experience growing up, or am I the only one? Okay. Let me try the second illustration, see if this works any better. How many of you have ever heard of chicken glasses? We're in trouble again. All right. Trust me on this one, and Greg's back there. He's going to look it up on Google. He will verify this for you later on. Chicken glasses. I was preaching in one church over in Mount Airy, and by the time the service was over, the guy at the soundboard had found it on Google, texted it to the pastor on the front row, and he said, I got it right here. <laughs> Chicken glasses were invented because when one hen gets a blemish in the barnyard, what do the other hens do? They peck it to death. Now, I have to explain this to teenagers. 
Roosters are male. Hens are female, right? Okay. And that's how we get the term when, oh, you know where I'm headed, don't you? <laughs> Henpecked, right? All right, now, in order to keep the other hens from pecking that blemished hen to death, somebody invented what's called chicken glasses, and it's just a little wire rim that goes across their beak because chickens don't have noses, all right? It just goes across their beak, and it's got little red lenses. They swing back and forth. And if one of the chickens has a blemish on it, you put these chicken glasses on all the other chickens, and they're looking around, and they see red everywhere, and they can't see the blemish in that one hen to peck it to death. Don't shake your head at me. It's true. All right, now follow with me. We used to sing a chorus when I was a kid. My heart was black with sin until the Savior came in. Do you know sin is not black? Not bibli Biblical definition of sin is not black. Come and let us reason together. Though your sins be as they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson. When God from the portals of heaven, I'm talking about right now, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, when God looks down from the portals of heaven and he looks at me, I am clothed in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He looks down and my sin is under the blood. So he doesn't see my sin. He sees his son. And I stand before God right now as righteous as his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10 says, or, uh, says this, Isaiah 61, 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. I stand declared, and I'm not righteous in my actions, but I've been declared righteous in the portals of heaven. And someday when I die, or if Jesus comes, my only entrance into heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Say, so, preacher, what's that got to do with missions? One of my favorite hymns when I was growing up was an old hymn called, O Zion Haste. Thy mission high fulfilling, to tell to all the world that God is light, that he who gave all nations is not willing, one soul should perish, lost in chains of night. There's one verse I just can't get away from. It says this, Behold, how many thousands still are lying bound in the darksome prison house of sin, with none to tell them of the Savior's dying or of the life he died for them to win. Published glad tidings, tidings of peace, tidings of Jesus, redemption, and release. We have a message, folks, Amen. and there are people, one-third of the world's population doesn't even know who Jesus is. Of the seven billion people, one-third don't know who he is.
at least we can tell someone in this area about Jesus and what he's done for us. Can't we help? Can we help? Yes, you have helped. And thank you for your help. But we can do more to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these dear folks who have faithfully supported us and stood with us in this ministry in Jamaica. I pray in the days ahead that we might be zealous toward reaching people with this glorious message that they can be right with God because of what Jesus has done. 